Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 11, It's a Hit, Now What? Dealing with Success. Recorded at Metatopia 2012 by Fred Hicks. Presented by Fred Hicks and Kurt Covert. This is the uh, It's a Hit, Now What? Dealing with Unexpected Success panel. Uh, I'm Fred Hicks from Evil Hat. Uh, and I'm Kurt Covert with Smirk and Dagger Games. Right on. Uh, just to kind of give the high view right up front, I think there are three big components of what to do when success has suddenly la- landed on you. And it, when it lands on you, it lands on you hard. Uh, dealing with the cost of that dealing with the customer service impact of that. Uh, and, co- and cost and customer service kind of both revolve around the shipping question if you've got a physical thing that you're, you're going to be getting out there. Um, and dealing with uh, just general communications during that time frame. Uh, uh, we can dig deep on each of those. We can give an overview on those. And uh, Kurt's going to have his own take on things as well, mm-hmm. I imagine. Well, and, and honestly, uh, partly it's also a barometer. You know, what constitutes... A hit. Uh-huh. Uh, when I was, you know, invited to the panel, I wasn't even quite sure whether I had fully attained such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but having had the company run for for ten years and having, you know, gone back to press uh, several times on many my games, um, I suppose that's that's something. Did, did you expect any of that? Is it unexpected success? Because that might be part of it. Well, it, I, that's the desire. It's the hope, right? right yeah, exactly. Um, I think the biggest surprise was actually getting international distribution, which I never expected. Mm. Um, yeah. But um, but no, I mean, yeah, I, I think you, you were saying that, um, you know, some of the some of the things are, you know, well, now all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've got, you know, one game, it's doing well, and the first thing you, ha- you realize is... Uh, one game is does not a game company make, yeah. And so you have to make sure you keep the pipeline filled, and that takes time and resources and play testing. Yeah, that's and, sort of the, yeah. the you, I've got this. I've got the fruits of success. How do I use them to make sure that they more keep growing? Yeah, right. So that that that's kind of the longer term thing. And I think also to look at the shorter term end of things, uh, particularly with things like Kickstarter out there in the in the ecosystem now. Uh, you know, unexpected success can be something that happens overnight. You know, you, you launch your project, you go to sleep, you wake up, and you're like, "It's how high," um, and you know, there are impacts that are uh, associated with that kind of a um, you know, literal overnight success. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, that uh, uh, need to be contended with as well. Um, I think. I think though that I mean, the, the 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 title of the panel is not facetious. I think the unexpected element of it, it, it sort of indicates. Uh, uh, at least for the purposes of our discussion, what the barometer of success is. It's it's the I, well, I printed a hundred copies, and I'm sure that was going to be enough. Um, and you've sold two two hundred. Oh, crud! You know that that's the same kind of hit slash success thing as I printed five thousand copies, and uh, you know we've got orders for seventy five hundred or something like that. You know, that's, in, yep. in, in either case, you're looking at. Uh, uh, what you what you estimated, what your what by whatever mechanism, mm-hmm. um, uh, not matching up to the amount of demand that you've uh, uh, gotten put on you. And how do you handle that such that um, it doesn't turn into a lot of people bitching on forums and and, and social media and so forth? It does actually. That's just what happens. Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. But you know, there, 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 it's more about the ways to mitigate that. Yes. I think, in, yeah. that, in that case. Um, 
so is there a particular direction that you guys would like us to take first through that? Pardon? How do we cause it? Well, if it's, you see, the thing is, the thing is, if you're doing it deliberately and it actually happens for you, that's not unexpected, is it? Right? Um, but like, what, if you've had an unexpected success, how do you account for it? Um, well, uh, uh, it's a if I, right, yeah, yeah. There, there are a couple things I can talk about. I can talk about, for example, uh, the Dresden Files role-playing game, um, which. Uh, you know, we were reasonably able to expect to be some level of success, but uh, you know, as as I've been watching Jim's uh, property develop over the past decade plus, um, uh, I, I probably should have put a little bit more thought into uh, anything with the Dresden Files, and it tends to blow up a little bit more than than uh, than the people doing it expected it to. Um, I just somehow thought that. You know, we were, you know, we were you know, okay. We're doing our initial print run of something like five thousand copies, and uh, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll do reasonably well with that. Well, at this point, we're up to fourteen thousand, somewhere thirteen to fourteen thousand copies sold, and uh, uh, you know, I think we're doing our fourth reprinting of it, and so forth. Um, you know, but that, that that I was at least able to somewhat anticipate, um, and that's more about making sure that I pay attention to. Uh, how long it took to get like the first print run done, um, like from from pull the trigger and the any of the financial shenanigans that might be a part of that, uh, to the actual it showing up at the warehouse time, and always keeping that time frame in mind and watching the rate of sale as I'm getting that information in and making sure that I pull the trigger on a next reprint so that it, the the supply essentially stays continuous. Um, uh, that lesson was learned because. Uh, a few years prior, when we had Spirit of the Century, um, uh, our kind of our first hit-ish thing, uh, uh, get out there. Uh, uh, we were operating on a much smaller scale, but uh, but I hadn't watched the timelines of uh, pull the trigger on purchase to delivery at the warehouse closely enough to prevent there from being a gap in the supply of Spirit of the Century early on, and. Uh, uh, you know, during during the time that that gap came up, uh, I was you know trying to keep an eye on at least a, a few uh, you know, popular forums, listening to a few role playing game uh, and industry focused podcasts and things like that, and uh, on two D six feet in a random direction uh, podcast with uh, Brian Isakoff and Chris Hanrahan. Um, Chris is uh, a retailer who runs uh, the Endgame store out in Oakland, California. Um, and they were, you know, talking about how, yeah, it would be great if we could get in Spirit of the Century. Um, and I'm like, I, I can't leave that remark unaddressed. Um, and so I got in there and said, thanks for t- talking about the game. Here's why this gap developed. It's totally on me. Here's when you can expect it to be available again and, and through what places and so forth. And it's amazing how many publishers don't do that when a supply gap has come up. And it will goose them utterly because... Uh, silence is a gap into which speculation rushes. Correct. Right. right. right? And if you don't, and this is kind of the communication cu- yeah. slash customer service side of things. If you don't communicate, and this is part of why Evil Hat has the transparency agenda that it does, because um, uh, if you get the message out there enough, then wherever the speculation comes up, somebody who's already informed is potentially there to say, "Oh no, no, this is what's going on," and it'll be back around and so forth. It completely blunts the impact and it turns. It, it keeps the sort of death spiral 
of, uh, of, spe- of negative speculation from, from spinning up. Well, not only that, uh, I, mean, I think uh, it, that's, a, that's an excellent point. The communication is, uh, and customer service is really, really important at all phases. Um, you know, it's, it's what gets you your initial fan base. It's what, uh, you know, feeds and grows the fan base. And it also, you know, maintains them through all the tough times. They'll, they'll go that extra emotional, you know, push of patience or whatever else right, yeah. when they know that you care and you're talking to them. I mean, it's, it's really, really important. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is it's very human to fuck up, right? It's very human to make And sometimes mistakes. it's not your fault. And especially when success that you didn't anticipate all, all parts of drops on you. Um, the, the the opportunity to screw up um, uh, can be, get particularly acute, uh, and some people fall into sort of this this shame umbrella um, that uh, uh, at those times, and they and they, they hide behind that and think I, I better not say anything until I can tell people something good. No, the, the the thing you need to do is get out there and say I screwed up. This is why I screwed up. This is how I screwed up. This is how you can help us get out of being screwed up. Um, uh, you know and. Because you had, don't forget that because you had success, that means there are fans, and uh, those fans are potentially going to be motivated uh, uh, to help you out in, that, in those yeah. circumstances. And that that's happening, I'd say, a lot more now with the uh, you know, that, that Kickstarter is is crowdfunding in general. Yeah, uh, just because you know one, it, it forces transparency uh, because now you know a brand new company putting out a brand new game for the first time. It's kind of learning as they go. Yeah. Um, and they're discovering things they didn't expect. Um, they're getting a whole bunch of orders and um, expectations thrust upon them. They're going to find out that how they thought shipping was going to work was a great plan up to a couple hundred copies, but now they've got a couple thousand copies to right. ship, and they aren't sure how they're going to be able to do that in a reasonable amount of time. Or they think, and this is particularly poisonous, they think that taking a month and a half to ship out all of the, all of the orders is going to feel acceptable to the backers who are seeing some of the backers get their stuff. Well, they have to wait another six weeks for it to show up. Yeah. Right? And, and, it, and it's not. And that's where you start looking for things like, uh, well, since I've got this larger success, can I... Uh, 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 afford uh, uh, with the with the revenue that I've gotten to like use a fulfillment service that can throw six people at the problem and actually get all this stuff out in a week. Right. Um, How about using uh, print on demand to mitigate that kind of? Uh... If you're doing your stuff, to, if if your intention is to simply ship directly from the print on demand service, if you're putting in each order individually to to go to those people. Um, that still feels like an awful lot of data entry to me. To, uh, but I think there's well, there's something to be said for uh, that. Uh, RPG now, mm-hmm. they'll they'll you can just give them a spreadsheet. Yeah, they'll, they'll just blast yeah. It. I mean, that, that's the thing is the the guys over at uh, uh, Drive Through Stuff, um, uh, regardless of what the particular thing is, are really keeping an eye on that uh, on supporting that kind of thing. I think they're launching next year Drive Through Cards, mm-hmm. and there's going to be even like card decks that yeah. you can get done on the fly um, I think I've been told something like 8 cents per card um, and then they take a cut off of the profit o- over the top of that um, so that, that, that's, that's a very exciting development um, uh, and I think we're I, I think they are very smartly saying you know what we aren't going to be able to be uh, the site on which the crowdfunding happens but if we can get the, manu- the, the publishers to come to us and uh, you know, deploy their their products through us. Uh, uh, then all the follow-on stuff happens, and also, um, uh, you know, let's be honest here. They're also getting all of the 
uh, marketing value of those people now being their customers, even though they're fulfilling your orders. Um, and, yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, I, I think you know, for 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 some designers and publishers, print on demand is is a viable uh, option. It's not for me. Um, well, it, it's still very hard to get a good print on, uh, color print on demand thing or a hardcover print on demand thing at a at a rate that's fairly affordable for. Um, certain scales, right? Yeah. If you're if you're hoping to get your thing into retail, um, uh, uh, it's hard to get those costs down to the point where it makes sense for selling into a distri- distribution context. Exactly, where you're only getting forty percent of the cover. Yeah. If, if if I printed only a hundred or a thousand copies of a game, I'd I'd be strapped. I, I wouldn't have enough to yeah, make demand. You might be making you you might be making a couple bucks on a sale, but you also might be taking a loss per yeah. sale after <laughs> all of the little bits get nibbled out of it. Yeah. So when when I approach a print run and outages, and I have had outages, uh, Cutthroat Caverns was uh, a game that uh, I'd see I'd seen you know with previous games a certain track record of sales. So I kind of expected you know a certain number of units over a year. And I was, you know, for some of my games, I was seeing, you know, maybe fifteen hundred units a year, and I, you know, I was pretty happy with that. Um, Cutthroat Caverns launched, and I printed uh, twenty five hundred of them, um, and it did not last a year. It was uh, it was out in eight months, and it kind of snuck up on me. So I hadn't been watching all the stock yeah. levels and thinking yeah. to myself, oh. I better get this back on press, and all of a sudden, I, I found myself with a hundred copies, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to have a huge outage because it, I'm, I'm printing overseas. It's going to take, you know, easily six months to get yeah. this back in stock. Yeah, that's it, it, it. Can get really nasty. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm willing to take a little bit of a extra cost hit to go with a domestic printer occasionally because I can get like a six week turnaround instead of a six month turnaround. Yeah. And yeah, I could probably be making fat, fatter margin um, uh, overall there, but uh, it's I, I think particularly because of my spirit of the century scare earlier, yeah. I'm, I'm like, you know what? I, I I think the ability to be nimble is going to be something I'm going to value higher. I'm going to be willing to pay a few extra bucks for it. There's nothing wrong with going overseas uh, for certain cost uh, uh, situations or certain components. Things. There's but some it, components. That you just some can't. components, right? But yeah. there's but you absolutely have to make sure that you can manage the fact that it is going to be on the literal slow boat from China or what have you, yeah. um, uh, in order to get to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's rough because there's a lot that can happen in a six month time frame. Yeah, uh, and frequently, I mean, even even when you've got like kind of a, an established thing, you, you, there's just no telling. My, the last game I printed was the expansion for Cutthroat, which was Fresh Meat. Um, it included a, a specialty box insert. I had a schematic, dimensions, as detailed as I could be on the specs. And they made 13 horrific mistakes to the project that slowed it down three months. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them were just, they, they ignored my specs completely on the tray and gave me six versions that didn't work. Then they delivered the entire job printed on the wrong paper stock. <laughs> and I had to refuse them and have them reprint. Then they cut the cards the wrong size. The, the two decks were of different sizes and when you, sh- you couldn't <laughs> shuffle them. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So you, 
you just never know. Even as as much as you did to make sure it goes smoothly, yeah. sometimes stuff just happens. And I, as a result, I ha- I had no new product for for Gen Con. I had fans clamoring to get this new product. And I had the biggest booth I'd ever had because I anticipated a oh, huge, huge, no. huge, you know, rush to my booth. And I wanted a bigger demo space. The other thing was I've never been able to have a bigger demo space because I'm a essentially I'm a, I'm a one-man company. Um, I, I've got a partner, uh, a good friend of mine, Justin, who has been with me for 10 years. And, you know, he just he comes to, to shows with me. He kicks the tires on my game designs. But, you know, by and large, the day-to-day, you know, I, I'm it. And uh, so I don't have, like, six friends that I, you know, I are all partners in the thing that we all do demos out in a big booth. It's me. And I, I've had the very good fortune of had, having people volunteer come to me and say, how can I, how can I help? I'd love to do demos. Love to, and this year was the first time that I could actually support a 10 by 30 booth fully staffed the entire time, which was wonderful, except now I had no product. Um, well, yeah, well I, I had no new product. I, I had all my, all my you know, sure, current product. Um, we ended up taking um, pre-orders, but I refused to take money because I, I'd had another problem just like this before, and I made the mistake of taking money. Don't do it. Um, the reason is because I assumed that you know it would be here in three weeks because my printer told me it would be here in two. Well, it was a month and a half later, and people were like, "What about hey? I paid for that game at Gen Con. Remember me?" And and you know, as 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 much as I was doing customer service and emailing out and trying to you know let people know, it's just. It, it gets a point where people are just like, dude, really, you know, yeah. and and you can't blame them. And there there is there, there are ways with with certain types of products that you can blunt that situation a bit. I remember, I've worked with uh, Hero Games in the past, yeah. and uh, uh, what was it? I think Hero Six Edition or something like that. Was it Hero Six Edition or was it Fantasy Hero Star? I forget which. One of the books um, uh, uh, had not made it across from China in time for Gen Con. Um, but I proposed to them the uh, what seemed like a little bit of a crazy idea to them at the time of uh, let people buy the book that's not there at the convention, hand them a CD with the full PDF of all of the contents of it, mm. and say, and we will pick up the shipping bill to get it to you when it, once it does arrive. So they walked. So the customer paid something. They got a tangible thing. They could actually experience the content That's of great. the book, uh, and then uh, uh, also didn't have to lug. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was sixth edition. They didn't have to lug home this hugely thick double set of books, fifty pounds um, yeah. or whatever, uh, 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 home with them, or even around the convention floor at Gen Con. That's really a great um, idea. And some people, I, I think, even said to them, yeah, why don't you do this with all of your books in the future so that I don't have to carry them? Because, you know, generally they made a lot of bricks. Um, uh, so, you know, obviously not something you can do, do quite so easily game, with yeah. a board game, but it's there, there, are, there are creative strategies. And also, uh, I, I think, uh, kind of intrinsic in, in this conversation here is the notion that um, your fans are available there as a resource rather than just as, a, as customers, right? Fans are different from customers. Yes. And fans will show up to help if you say, I need help. 
Um, so don't be afraid to ask for it. Uh, with regards to the print delays, um, mm -hmm. I, an appropriate anecdote was that of Fiasco and the tabletop show mm -hmm. that was released a month early. Yeah. Yeah, Jason had a bit of, Jason and Steve had a bit of scrambling to do there. Yeah. Uh, they planned their print run. It was great. They had a local responsive printer. Well, we didn't presenting it on YouTube a month early. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It, it was a little rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what? How far are we in? But we're about at the halfway mark. Keep going. We should allow for a lunch break in here somewhere. Um, well, you you guys kind of came to kind of I, I think hear something that related to what you know you're hoping to either uh, avoid or address. You know. What what kind of you know concerns you know what what kind of things were you hoping to, to hear or take away from it and we can try to address some of those. What are the expectations that start being formed once you have a eighty thousand dollar Kickstarter? So, like once you become well known, I've actually as heard a success. Well, yeah, industry. once you once you're a big success Kickstarter. Um, uh, I've heard people. I've heard people immediately go, go, go. You know, of course, it's the internet, so of course, the most negative thing possible could be said. Uh, go, go straight to the. Well, that company's going to fold. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you uh, saw the uh, the Reaper Minis uh, Kickstarter that went nuts. My, my friends like, were all over that. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, I might have. I might have bled a little bit of money into that one too. Um, not a little bit of money. A lot of money. Um, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know that that just kind of pisses me off because, uh, especially when it's an an, uh, an established company, um, uh, running after a number of other Kickstarters have gotten out there and made the mistakes for them. I, I think that that stuff has been fairly well considered, especially with an operation as as tight and smart as Reaper. Um, but but nevertheless, with all that stuff that I just said being true. There are plenty of people still going. Well, it, it, it got so big, they're not going to be able to handle that. They're going to screw up. They're going to drop orders. They're going to all of that stuff, right? And uh, uh, assume that that's going to be said about you, and to the extent that you can get out in front of it, right? Um, uh, again, this is the, the I mean, this is going to be the gong that I'm going to beat a lot on this panel. Um, uh, uh, communicate early and deeply, such that uh, the fuel to snuff out the, the, the fires of, of negative speculation is there for everyone. Steve Jackson's been really good about that with the owner uh, deluxe set. Yeah. Which, you know, you know, through the roof and everything, and now they're talking about something we have to know Yeah, but they've been very clear about what, yeah, why they're saying really you get, you get a lot of inside information about it, right? Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's always something to reference. Yeah. Always well, well, yeah. Also, they're 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 swimming in their great big pools of Munchkin dollars. So you know, there's at least some some stability behind that. To, to the, and actually, that's where the risk of, of image, I think, comes in for the smaller yeah. company. Uh, that nobody has the ability to be certain that you've got you know enough resources to deal with the extra cost that you weren't expecting. And they may not. And you might not. Right. Um, the the other thing too is. Um, the, the advent of Kickstarter has created, you know, two interesting situations. Um, it the level of transparency is not something consumers are used to seeing. 
you know, if they put money on a game and that Kickstarter goes through, the expectation in most consumers' minds, even if they, you know, rationally understand that it still has to be produced, is I paid for a game. When can I have it? Like, like it's, I'm getting it from Amazon. They don't look at the, at the uh, estimated delivery date. Well, and, and, the de- and, the, and the problem with the estimated delivery date is wrong. It's, it's, it's intrinsically it's wrong. wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wrong because, um, because either, you know, the people are, are new to the industry and don't know what they don't know and haven't budgeted that extra three months because that's always what's going to happen. Just things blow up. Um, and it's the, again, it's it's the fact that most of the time consumers are not aware of all that time and energy and all the things that can happen from point A to point B, and so all they know is you know why a new game came out. I want to I want to buy it and I want to get it. So now you're seeing all these updates from people like you know oh well the mold isn't quite right. Oh the color was bad. Oh the shipping is going to take long. All this stuff. Consumers are not used to having to even think about that stuff. Yep, that's a that's a whole publisher pull out their hair behind the scenes thing, which now consumers unfortunately have to also live through with them. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the the biggest thing about about Kickstarter and expectation and, and why that dialogue is so important. But patience is not the same. It's it's hard to be a publisher and have your game not make Gen Con and still be late for three months. Yeah. I'm pulling out my hair. I'm losing sales. I'm losing opportunity. But now consumers have to live that with me if I went on Kickstarter and yeah. have to see my updates every day. Yep. So. Well, and I, thinking about that is part of why uh, with the Kickstarters that we've done, I've always tried to think about some kind of instant gratification component that... Uh, that we can deliver to the backers as early yeah. as possible, right? Yeah. In the case of uh, our fiction line Kickstarter, um, when that concluded, we had already had the first novel done, ready to go to press, and so forth. Right. So we sent the ebooks out to every everyone like the day of the conclusion of the. We didn't even wait to see if their payments had all completely cleared, mm-hmm. um, uh, because we wanted to make sure that they had that. They could sit down, and they could read it, and they could instantly experience some of the some of the thing that they were they had gotten excited about. Simply on the promise economy that yeah. <laughs> that you know, the Kickstarter is, um, with our board game race to adventure. Uh, uh, recently, we uh, shipped out like patches and pins and those sorts of things, which people were getting at a fairly low level. So most of the backers were getting something uh, like physically tangible. But uh, uh, similarly, day of conclusion of the, of the Kickstarter, we uh, sent them uh, the uh, PDF for the rules and uh, print and play stuff if they wanted to. Assemble their own set at home. You know that can feel a little scary to you know put something out there that someone could use to, uh, I suppose, manufacture the uh, uh, thing. But no, uh, you know, it it, the, 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 uh, the, honestly, um, because a, a board game can take so damn long to get to your warehouse. Uh, uh, in so doing, uh, uh, we uh, create an opportunity for people to be learning the game and playing the game. Before it actually lands and starts its normal sales cycle, yeah. and that's that's word of mouth buzz. Yeah. Um, so it's a good way to kind of navigate those waters too. Not to mention, if they want to pay the printing fees, okay. Yeah, sure, exactly. I'll just, I'll just sue you if you make any money off of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm take this book. I, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're talking about setting up patches and pins and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
did that did that mess with your uh, shipping estimate? Uh, it, it potentially. I mean, the, the, the nice thing about this is we're talking about a thin little sandwich that can fit in a standard envelope, right? I mean, at, so you're you're buying very low cost materials. Um, you're shipping stuff that maybe requires an extra stamp. Uh, kind of thing. I mean, we're using stamps.com, but the same the idea is uh, still correct. Um, and uh, uh, it's not that much of uh, of an additional shipping cost on top there. You know, and we had structured things so that we had a, a nice margin um, to, to soak up some some incidental stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, we could again have uh, maybe walked away with five hundred or a thousand bucks more out of the considerably larger total than that. Um, if we uh, didn't do this round of shipping, but uh, uh, I'm not just here to make money off of people. I'm here to make happiness in those people. But you also built in the, the squishy. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's a squishy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you really want to. I mean, part of the uh, part of the way you deal with unexpected success is you learn how to expect the unexpected. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a. There's a lot of kind of walking through the scenario of okay, what's the wildest success that I can imagine? How can I add ten percent more success to that? And then what would I deal? What would I do to deal with that circumstance and, and walk through the scenarios? Um, there's uh, uh, the risk I feel for me when I'm doing that stuff is that then I get excited about the possibility of that wild thing, <laughs> the thing, and and that that it, it, it can accidentally turn into kind of a disappointment mill for you when you're like, oh, it's only performing reasonably well. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, once you, <laughs> once you uh, wear the publisher hat long enough to get toughened up to that sort of experience, um, uh, it, it's just a very smart, uh, sim- you know, simulated success uh, problem to work through. Are there any other costs that don't uh, scale uh, linearly, other than shipping. Are there like is there anything else that sneaks in there that when you uh, in, hit ten thousand copies, this becomes unmanageable? In, in board games, you could certainly end up in that kind of circumstance, uh, uh, depending on like sometimes the kind of die they will make for for cutting out your components will be on a different scale if you're doing a larger print run because they want to print more of that component simultaneously. So they might want to be able to cut 16 boards instead of four boards at, at a time. I think that's right. So they might... Yeah, I mean, it, some, it depends, depends on, on the size operation of the run. The, and, and quite honestly, you know, for, for a beginning publisher, you know, it would be really unusual for you to jump to a print run that would not use the same die, I think. Yeah, you know, exactly. the, the, the die you're going to use for 2,500 is going to be the same die you're going to use for 10,000. Yeah. Um, because it's just the speed of that, of that press. Um, if you go beyond that, then, then I, think, I think you're right. But that would be that, that's really, <laughs> really... I mean, that would be some kind of crazy huge success. And what, when we're talking about like getting those dies made, that's... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that's a... Uh, that's an upfront cost as opposed to this is why I'm bringing it up um, uh, it's uh, with any uh, thing honestly anything that isn't a book um, you're getting some sort of machined tool made for it unless you're using nothing but standard components um, a machined tool made for it in order to punch those right those holes in that particular piece of cardboard or what have you and they can be about a thousand dollars per die you yeah. know, give or yeah. take you can find your Oh. It, it, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I, I was imagining 
10,000? Oh, no, no. Oh, well, okay. if, if you want to mold plastic parts, intricate plastic oh, yeah. parts, that's, that's you, you, you can spend 5,000 on a, on a mold for a, you know, X figure. Or I, yeah. I don't, you know. But. And, then, and then you can find that um, the minimums on uh, how many, like, dice, for example, that uh, can be made of a particular kind of material is much higher when you tweak what kind of material it is just slightly. Um, you know, you want to get iridescent dice make. Okay, now you're you're, you're made. Now your uh, minimum run is a hundred thousand dice instead of thirty thousand dice. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and that uh, it, it, the, the the big bugaboos basically are um, tooling and uh, minimums, and you know there can be tiny variables that can shift um, uh, due to demand or do you want to provide you know, like more different types of dice and you're just like you're in the middle of the Kickstarter you're excited you're like okay yes we're also going to do these kinds of dice and then you find out that what you promised is something that's going to obligate you to make a much larger um, minimum dice run right? that's the other kind of thing that can spike on you now interestingly enough I, and I've, n- I've never Currency done exchange rates can also goose you yeah that's true too uh, the um I've never done Kickstarter when I when I published my first game I put a second mortgage on my house oof Yep, brave man. But this this was before Kickstarter. Yeah, this was, more, you know, more this than was, I'm willing to do. <laughs> this was this was you know young man with a with a bold idea ten years ago, and yeah, uh, you had to do that. Had to do it. Um, I didn't have six friends to pool our resources. I had me, and I got a line of credit off of my mortgage. And, and you had a lot of faith in your design. And, I had a, and honestly, I think that's 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 the other thing. Um, there are a lot of Kickstarter projects that are out there that sound great, the story is great, you read the rules and you're like, that feels about right and there have been just as many people who said, you know it doesn't quite have the I don't know um, and partly I think Kickstarter is allowing some of those projects to go forward before they're 100% because it is easier to fund them, they don't have to put a second mortgage on their house and pray that they see a dime back of it yeah. um, but I, had, I, I did do that, and um, so I was very, very conservative. So the, the kind of unexpected success that I had was running out sooner than I expected and then trying to figure out, well, wait a second, how am I going to pay for the next run? Have I seen enough of the money back yet? Um, and by the same not only do I have to reprint this to get it back on press, but in order to be a viable company distributed, you know, you know, across across the nation, I need more than one product. So I have now a second product line I've got to fund, and it's all invest, invest, invest. So I invested deeply for three and a half, four years before I really saw any return. Now that's a long bet. Um, by by any return, you mean that you started to go from like in the red and then in the black. Correct. You were you were bringing in profits and so forth. Of, that of, time. I was bringing in money, yeah. which was I was reinvesting into new products. But remember, you still have all your overhead. So if you go to a trade show, I, I go to I, you know I went to Gen Con, I went to Origins, um, I did some advertising. I, you know all those things mm-hmm. came out of the budget. You know out of the profit of one game. Yeah. Which is different than when you, you know, now I'm established, I've got, you know, 10, 15 different products, right? So now all of those things are paying for my overhead. It's a smaller little piece of that pie. So it's it's much more comfortable now to pay for those overhead costs when you got one product, you're like, where's all the money going? Oh my God. Kurt's story here is not atypical. I've I've heard it said that 
most uh, not even outside of gaming most uh, you know small businesses even if they are become eventually successful spend their first several years uh, not turning a profit yeah um, usually uh, losing yeah it's often it's a, losing it's, it's, it's a continual investment on the hope that you're going to turn it into a profitable yeah, and sometimes business. that loss gets cushioned by like the person running the business not taking any kind of money for themselves out of I it. didn't take anything out um, yeah. uh, uh, and, or you know taking out a larger loan or what have yeah. you um, uh, uh, but you know hopefully that that hit gives you that that boost up to have the uh, the, the you know your buffer cash yeah. uh, to, to, to chew on and then hopefully turn into a, a, a larger product line which is uh, you know, we were we were doing pretty good with our Don't Rush Red Spirit of the Century stuff. Dresden Files gave us way more cash than we were, uh, you know, uh, used to having. Um, uh, and uh, we, we've spent the last year and a half to two years uh, uh, looking at that money and saying, okay, well, how can we do use this to make Evil Hat, you know, larger and possibly, you know, modest salary paying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's the... Uh, the, the, what, what is the what is the great dream of a, uh, a game publisher to make McDonald's wages? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm still hoping on that. Yeah, yeah. we're working on it. Here's some more, Fred, about what you did once you had that pile of money and you developed it. Uh, well, um, at that point, uh, we uh, sorry. Let me make sure I'm. Yeah. Okay, we got 15 minutes. Uh, we uh, uh, kind of looked at the assets we had already and said how can we go broader on them um, you know spirit we took we looked at spirit of the century you know an ip that we fully owned as opposed to license like the dresden files and said well this is our this is our biggest hit once you take dresden files out of the picture um, how can we develop that world uh, uh, further in a way that isn't solely about the the, the role playing game and that's when we said okay well let's do a fiction line tying into it and maybe that's not going to do that great but fiction is cheap uh, in comparison to most most other costs, uh, most other scenarios at the scale that we were, we had managed to get ourselves up to. Um, but hey, maybe this world would also support a board game, and uh, uh, we weren't sure what that board game was gonna, going to look like. But some guys had come up to us with a uh, design that could be reskinned within the uh, the world of Spirit of the Century. It made a lot of sense, and that became Race of Adventure. Um, uh, we're going to kind of continue to do that with other properties that that, uh, that we've got, and uh, you know, we're also going to be doing another card game that is uh, set in sort of the villainous side of the Spirit of the Century uh, universe called Zeppelin Armada, um, uh, which hopefully will get rolling uh, uh, out to the public next year. Um, uh, and uh, so, but a lot of it was okay. Before we could, you know, as a, as a small RPG company, we could really kind of only afford to focus on one or two games at a time. Uh, That's true. Uh, but now that we've got cash on an order of magnitude more than we we're, we're used to having, um, let's start ten projects. Um, uh, you know, a lot of them will be fairly low, low cost, low budget things. Uh, you know, we're going to try to keep our foot uh, in our indie roots um, and and do some smaller smaller games. Uh, but let's also. Uh, uh, Try to become not just a role-playing game company, but try to become a game company. Um, uh, so I think it's a lot about how, how can you broaden, but in a way that builds on your existing successes. And does that mean that we'll try to do other things with the Dresden Files property outside of role, the role-playing game? I hope that we will be able to put something together like that at some point. But um, part of the reason we are diversifying on our um, uh, a smaller, totally owned success of Spirit of the Century is to get practice. 
um, so that then we can swing at larger targets and, and, and hit them without you know making making mistakes like uh, uh, some of the ones I've talked about. Yeah. I think the other thing too, even even with uh, you know when, when you get a big influx of cash, you know whether it's Kickstarter or just a successful product, um, you still have to, I, I think you know, plan and plan smartly as though you, that cash really wasn't there. Um, yep. You you need to you know make some smart choices on the on your product offerings. You know, don't go hog wild. Do not all of a sudden. Because you've got the cash right now, because it it's it's not oh, you're going to spend it, and then it's going to be inventory. And don't don't forget about your down the line reprint costs. Yeah, like if uh, first first set aside all of the cash that it would take to reprint everything you've got, um, uh, so that you won't have a cash based reason for running out yeah. of uh, of uh, stock. Um, and, when then, you, and if you have one game that. That may be significantly uh, difficult. Yeah, but pretty significant, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, also think about uh, uh, figuring out roughly what your percentage bracket is going to be for taxes at the end of the year if you spent none of this cash and put that chunk aside. I have a second bank account for Evil Hat that I transfer um, you know, a fairly large amount of our money into to sit, earn a little interest, and for me to forget that it exists and mm-hmm. to use the, the, the main account as our operating expenses. Yeah. Um, once you've got the cash to the point where, where you can do that, um, it's a really, it, it's psychologically useful <laughs> to do that. I could earn the same interest uh, on that money by keeping it all on the one account, but by transferring it over to the, to the savings account, I go, okay, that's, that's my slow money. This is my fast money. Yeah, and I, I've done the same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, firewall yourself off from the temptation uh, uh, to, to the extent that you can there. Yeah. Oh, right. And also, if you've got something like we had with, okay, we've got a successful Kickstarter. Um, the the it's it's funding the print run. It's going to be the size that that print run is going to take. You know, thirty forty thousand dollars. Put the thirty four thousand dollars over in your slow money thing. Even if you're going to be spending the down payments and such out of your fast. Uh, so that you, so that that's that's kind of a way of reminding yourself. Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to touch that money except for for a race adventure. And then you're like, okay, I paid all of the race adventure expenses. I can take those expenses back from the slow money into the fast money, uh, you know, fund again. Um, uh, but you know, this of course assumes that you do have that fat buffer on hand. I but I I really advocate once you once you can get to a place of uh, financial stability, um, don't try to do. Deficit spending there. <laughs> you know, don't take out that second more. Uh, you no. know, the, the yeah. second follow-on mortgage after the, the first one you took out. If, that, if that's how you did it. Yeah. In fact, um, one of the things that uh, that I did, you know, and again, one man show running a, you know, my only in my spare time, and it's mm-hmm. just just me, not a group of folks. So um, I realized that uh, you know, being able to release only one product a year, I was not gonna, you know, I was not gonna get into the black as quickly as I had wanted to. Um, and so one of the things I started realizing is, you know, part of the reason is there are only so many, the, the volume in the hobby side is a lot more limited than, say, like the mass market where, you know, if you license an idea to one of the, the big guys and they churn out 100,000 or something, that's significant. So I started pitching ideas out to the mainstream side at the same time I was building designs for, you know, what I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was... I was very uh, lucky to, to, to sign a, uh, a deal with Crayola 
Uh, I, oh, I, nice. I developed uh, the, the, the 3D uh, chalk line where you put the 3D glasses on and the chalk pops up off of the driveway and you nice. step through it. It's like, you know, acid for kids. It's a pretty cool product. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we're going to have to hunt that down. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, and, and not only what, was it a great, you know, first license for, for me, but it was great for Crayola. Uh, normally they run a license for like two years and they're done. It ended up winning Toy of the Year when it released. Holy crap. Uh, they, they did uh, advertising behind it because Walmart demanded it. Um, and they, they couldn't afford it out of the budget, so they borrowed money from other people's budgets to pay for the advertising, which was great. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. Um, and um, all of that ended up um, putting some significant dollars into my account, which, you know, was a, it, was, it, was, it was a great windfall. Yeah. Um, I put it right into the savings. I, it, slow money. Slow money, <laughs> boom. Except that the first thing I did was I paid off that second mortgage. Yeah, the thing sure. that had been hanging over my head for, for forever. Yeah. For, React with all possible allergic response to debt when you can. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the first thing that you need to get out of your system. Yeah. Um, because it's the thing that will come along and go, hey, by the way, I'm still here, and now I'm going to seize control of your company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know you, you, you plan you plan for success and um, and being ahead of the curve at the same time you plan for everything that can go wrong from here to there. Yeah. Um, oh, we're low on stock on everything. Yeah. At the same time, let's make sure we can pay for that. Yeah. Um, one question away from finances and towards the marketing. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with supporting your community? when the number of members of your community skyrockets? Deputize. Okay. Deputize. Uh, yeah, um, part of the thing that I've... Well, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've, I, uh, before I started doing the publishing thing, really, I was uh, kind of doing some online community running for uh, Jim Butcher's mailing list, which eventually became his website and, and, and other things. Uh, so... Yeah, podcast. Well, the podcast for a while, we, we faded on that because that was a serious time suck. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, over the course of that, I'd always look for the people who were jumping in on conversations, saying something reasonable, well managed. Clearly, they were paying attention to the information that was coming out about uh, things, whether we're talking about Evil Head or Jim Butcher here. You know, the, the same stuff applies. Um, and when possible, um, I would maybe bring them in to work on a project. Uh, that's how we got Lenny Balsera um, working on uh, uh, the Fate line for uh, Evil Hat. Um, but with your your communities, uh, uh, bring those people in, and uh, you know you show them you, you show them appreciation, you show them trust, and then you give them a job. In the sense of, would you like to be a moderator on on, on like the forum boards or something like that? And um, you know those people. Uh, we're already jumping into the conversations. You're really all, the only thing that you're really adding to them. You're taking this, your little dropper and you're going Bink, authority. Uh, and when you're adding that authority to them, that feels great to them, and uh, they're also willing to you know take on some of the work of communicating for you. And because you've been watching them, you know who you can trust. You know that you, you know maybe they aren't going to be always 100 percent on message, but whatever. Uh, uh, they're going to be the people who make sure that the house doesn't burn down while you're away. It's a lesson that I really only just started to learn this year. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one. I'm, I'm, like I said, the reason I said I was lucky is like, like I'm not sure I would have learned that yeah. lesson in other contexts necessarily. Yeah. 
Um, if I'd just gone, okay, I'm gonna, from zero, game publishing, community management, what's this? Um, but having having gotten to do that, um, you know, essentially as a hobby, I, I got the pink of authority from Jim uh, in the first place. Uh, uh, I just really took that to heart and said, okay, this is something, I, this is a repeatable process. It's been done to me, I can do it to other people. Yeah. And I've, I've done that with uh, his discussion community, I've done it with the Fate, uh, Fate community, um, in general, and uh, it's my favorite method for uh, bringing people into the fold uh, is you know the, the vocal people, is, which is actually a good, good lesson for you if you're wanting to like break in with the company, become active in their communities. Uh, you yeah. will get noticed because um, I'm not the only person who does stuff like that. Yeah, my uh, my demo team, the guys who are with me, you know, every Gen Con, um, uh, they uh, they this year, you know, kind of. Or even last year, you know, started voicing like, you know, hey, listen, you know, what else can we can we help you with? And I, I, honestly, I wasn't even quite sure because <laughs> I didn't know what to let go of or what to, you know, because I, 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 I was so used to for you know eight years doing everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if we're evolving a checklist here for what to do with, do with success, is start thinking about how to answer that question. Yeah, because at some point, someone once you after, especially after you succeed, someone's going to walk up and say that to you, and if you're like, ah. Yeah, you've just lost an opportunity. But yeah. if you're like, you know what? Uh, we really like some more like positive voices on our, our discussion groups about this sort of thing. If you can get over there and start you know, like looking at what sort of questions are out there hanging, we don't always have the time to you know put our people who are actively writing te- writing uh, you know products over there to answer these questions. If you could start answering them uh, for us, I'm, you're clearly an expert in the game from the conversation yeah. we've just had. That would be a big help. And then maybe they go over to it and do it for a while and then peter out, or maybe they keep doing it and they start being seen as like the community authority. And then you go, okay, now we're going to actually properly anoint this authority, and now you've got a new moderator or community rep or somebody who's going to come and help you in your demo space at the yeah. convention or whatever. Uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. All right, we've got just a couple minutes. Is there any uh, lightning round question or uh, disorder? Uh, well, do we want to wrap here? All right. Well, I, I think that's uh, that, I think we've covered it. If not 360 degrees, at least 270 of them. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks very much, Kurt. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Guys.